There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Marshall's still going. Marshall's got Richards coming up outside. Now inside. Richards pursued. He pushes Jensen away. Yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of the NRL Supercoach Podcast, hosted by the SC Whisperer. Now today, uh, joined by my first guest for the season, uh, joined by the 2016 overall winner, Wilfred Z. Wilfred, how are you going? Good, thanks, Whisperer. How are you going, mate? Good, mate. Good. Now, just wanted to get you on today to get a sort of a second opinion on the overall strengths of Supercoach. How to do well, how to succeed, how to see yourself at the top. Obviously, no secret to success. Uh, managed to win in 2016. Off the back of a few uh, left field picks going outside of the the square circle, do you want to tell us about that 2016 season? So with 2016, it was pretty unique uh, for us because that was a year where there were a lot of rookie halves. So I took the risk on starting with a, quite a few of those cheaper guys and I stayed away from some of the traditional guns that you know, back then it was the likes of Jonathan Thurston and stuff like that. You know, they came into my team later in the season, but I started off without them early on. I think with my team, you know, this is still back in the day where three big buy rounds, buy planning was important. So it's um, obviously not as important these days. And I think, yeah, that was probably a big part of my my success. I planned really well. I nailed all my gun calls um, from from early on. And I took a couple of risks that allowed me to build up bank real, real quick. And I was able to jump out to a sizable lead from my team value which meant came, when it came to the buyers, I pretty much had an extra gun over quite a few other teams around me. So that's how I really blew out to a, bit, a fairly big lead. Um, so, yeah, and I guess 2016 was a, was a unique year because I think I, I came out with a pretty quick, quick start. I was probably within the top 1,000 by round two. Um, I started off like around 30,000 round one. By around three or four, I was in the top 100. So, yeah, fast start is really, really important um, in Supercoach, especially this, especially these days where there's more and more information out there, which it's fantastic, don't get me wrong, but it's just obviously people are getting better and better, smarter and smarter. So the gap between someone who's switched on and someone who, you know, maybe has done 80%, 90% of research, it might only be 50 to 100 points early on in the season. So it's really hard sometimes you know that that gap can suddenly get eliminated by a little bit of bad luck with injuries or whatever so yeah absolutely it's a big challenge now as super coach to be able to differentiate yourself but you know back then I was able to get out to a pretty quick lead you know my starting team looked good my guns were settled they were firing a couple of my mid-rangers so this is the year where Tommy Turbo it was his first year as a starter I jumped on early on Jake Turbo same thing you know, these, <laughs> this is so long ago, right? That they were still basically mid-rangers at the time. So they became out and out guns that year. 
I had them early on at like there were probably 50, 60% of their final finishing price. So when you can get a discounted season long keeper at that rate, um, it's always a good thing. And then, yeah, I was managed to hit number one by the time, uh, actually I hit, hit the lead in round seven or eight. Then I lost it because I did some stupid stuff, which you do when you get the lead for the first time and you can't really believe it. But then come, um, yeah, round 12, which was the first big buy round. Again, team was set up great, smashed that round, came out with the lead, never let it go. So I think at my peak, I was about 350-ish points ahead of second place. And yeah, I held on for the rest of the year. It got a bit dicey at times. I think second chased me down to within 50, 60 points at a few stages, but I finished up with roughly like 150, 200 point win in the end. So yeah, it was a it was obviously a year where a lot went right. Um, I had my share of dramas. You know, I had captained a couple of guys who dropped thirties and forties. Uh, one, I, I captained a, someone who got injured. He only scored twenty. Uh, yeah, it, it it's lots of up and downs. That's for sure that year. Well, that's that's the thing. It's it's such a long season, especially this year. We're now back to a full season, and and that's one thing I'm trying to reiterate to to my guys that follow me, and I'm sure you have the same uh, thought process. Your score at round one is not a reflection of how you're going. There's obviously going to be so many people that play super coach for one round, stack their stack their size, and that's it. So, I guess my advice to to all the guys out there is don't worry about your round after your rank after round one. It was interesting to hear that you basically were fine sort of after round three, a lot of the guys that I see that win really cement themselves around that buy period. I think that's where uh, a lot of the experienced guys really, uh, I guess, climb up the rankings. Obviously you get a lot more trades, but you've got to have that buy planning sort of, I would say six weeks out. What, what do you think? I honestly, I think with now the fact that we only have two big buys, I honestly think it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. So yeah, it's probably good to start looking at it and, and, you know, not be oblivious to it. So obviously with round 13 being this year, I mean, you'd want to at least know which team's playing that round and it should have a little bit of impact on your starting team, but I wouldn't dive into it so that I'd be, you know, trying to plan my round 13 team from round one. I'd probably have at least maybe four or five, you know, whether it's mid ranges or guns where you think I want to have them there ready to go so that come round 13, I'm going to have a strong floor already. And then when it comes to, like, you also don't want to start trading in for round 13 too early, right? Because players get injured and things like that. So honestly, you probably start thinking about it around five, six, start planning ahead so you can build bank to get the right guys and then make as many of the trades for the actual round 13 in, you know, rounds 11, 12, 13 itself. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of my guys are messaging me saying, oh, why have you done buy planning content or, or origin stuff? And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not as important as it was in prior years. Obviously, when we had those three uh, buy periods, it was a bit of a nightmare. Coaches wouldn't uh, wouldn't play their guns. Obviously, now with the resources, like you said, uh, guys like Wacko Whisperers are really good with that late mail that know sort of if a coach is going to play a gun or not sort of helps as well. And that goes hand in hand with the point that you made about more information being out there one thing I wanted to to touch on I guess is how how important it is for for guys to sort of look outside that square box and obviously it's all well and good to have a a cookie cutter team but that can only get you so far don't you think yeah look I feel like it just depends what your goal is if you just want to say aim for a top 1000 finish or top 5000 or something like that 
being vanilla or cookie cutter, as you say, is actually quite safe. Um, I think that that works really well. In fact, if you if you just want to be a strong finisher on a year on year out basis, for me, I've always been you know swing for the fences in the sense that I want to win. So I obviously you know I, I only started playing overall in 2015. So I used to be a solely a head to head player. I never really looked at overall. And, you know, when I look back at my finishes, I often would still finish top 1,000, top 2,000 still. So you can you can finish solidly, even though you're a head-to-head specialist. But I felt like back then when you had the three big buy rounds, you had to plan and stuff like that, you know, it was quite different the way you'd approach it because I'd burn trades. I would never leave myself trades for the last few rounds of the season, more often than not, which for a head-to-head player, you that's 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 like, you know, suicide basically, because you want to have trades for the head-to-head finals. That's a given. You need you need them if you want to really win. So for me, um, I would often, yeah, just really aim to win. So even like in 2017, 2018, even a little bit 2019, not so much, but so I was, you know, in the top 200 at one stage, mid-season 2017, as in top 500 mid-season 2018, and that's where I would go out of the box and make some wild swings and, and try and make moves to catch up. So even though I'd be top 200, top 500, whatever, I'd still be, you know, 200 points behind first or top 500 is about 550 points behind uh, the eventual winner who happens to be my current co-host for my Super Coach Champions podcast that, I, that I'm on. Uh, that was Guy that year. So, you know, quick, I've made... Quick plug for the, for the podcast. You may as well get it out there now. I figured I might as well. It seemed like a natural segue to it, but no. um, look, yeah. So like I said, you know, I made some pretty crazy moves. Um, I traded out Teddy basically one year and um, I, I couldn't get him back. And Teddy went on like a hundred plus average for the, like the last six rounds or something like that. So that just tanked my rank. So I went from 500, I finished the season at like, I think 6,000, something like crazy like that. So if I was aiming just for a top, 500 finish there's no way I'm training at Teddy I'm playing it safe playing it vanilla and probably taking less risks overall yeah I think but, you I know think, like, um, I think I think you and I share the, the the similar the principle like the years that I came uh 59th and 62nd uh were 2019 and 2017 um 2019 made made some bold calls like Captain Bronson's Jerry the two weeks that he went 100 plus and then sold him the week after so it's things like that, that that really you need to to separate yourself. Like like you said, the years that I've gone um, top five hundred, top seven hundred, it's the the times when I've just sort of kept the pack. But obviously, like you said, you need to take those risks in order to to move up the rankings. Otherwise, you can look down and see you rank as two hundred and fiftieth overall, but there's there's really zero chance of you winning. Like you're so far back, and your team is just too uh, heavily owned. And that's why I guess people talk about so much about picking the right pods. Obviously, that, that 2016 season for you, uh, are there any that stick out to you that, that really uh, set you apart in terms of those low percentage ownership players? I think a lot of 2016 was just that my team was really strong from the outset. Like, I'd set it up well. I nailed those couple of mid-rangers who I took, you know, the risks on. The guns I picked, like, I started with Teddy. I started with Ken Smith. And I started with Anthony Milford. These were guys who actually, you know, they were priced. You started with Milford high. every year since, haven't you? <laughs> that's such a lie <laughs> i started with milford in 2017 and then 2018 2019 i didn't i did trade him in later in the season when he was dirt cheap and stuff but and then 2020 i did start with him so 
you know, there's this there's this um, constant rumor out there that apparently I start with Milford. I think it's just I think it's just fun to bag Milford on social media whenever we see a Milford article. Like I know I tag you and everything, and anything Milford related, I just love to, love to get around it. But he is he's, oh, he is such an enigma, isn't he? Like obviously at his peak, he's he's one of the best five eighths in the comp. But at his worst, we know what what has come to it. Yeah, look, the, the reality is, is that what was so great about him when he was averaging 65, 67 and 70 in 2015 to 2017 was he got the run. He wasn't responsible for kicking. And then the moment Ben Hunt left and Milford became more uh, called upon to, to kick the ball, like his run numbers just dropped and he was doing stuff that he wasn't natural. It wasn't natural to him. It wasn't his instinct. And it makes him, a, it made him a better, more rounded player, um, probably better as a, an awkward term because see I, I say that he was a better player in 2017 and 2018 because he learned how to to kick a little bit better and the same as know, the same as Mitch, the team the same as Mitch Moses mate obviously two years ago he was one of the best super coach halfbacks but now he's become more, much more composed halfback compared to to what he was in those highlight reels are put away I think with the emergence of um of young Tommy Dearden a, a natural seven will allow Milf to play eyes up footy and Obviously, this year is 300k, so it's probably the best time to jump on him, don't you think? It's that's the narrative. Um, whether you still think like the, the 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 other option is that he is so shot confidence wise because of what's happened the last few years that he never really get re- recovers. He never gets it back. I'm obviously, you know, I'm always going to be a milf trufer, um, so I'm always hopeful that he will get it back. I mean, at this stage, he's not in my team, so um, oh, shocking. <laughs> I know, right? But look, he, he, there's there's still time. If he plays a trial, he looks good. I might be swayed, but at this stage, he's not in my team. But sorry to go back to your question. I guess what I did was, you know, because my team was good, I had all the the best, you know, or majority of the performing guns, and I was able to look for the pods because my team was already churning out some decent points. So um, because I'd nailed all the right cheapies and mid ranges, I could start, you know, ditching the the underperforming cheapies. And starting to jump on the lower ownership guys. So Cam Munster that year, Billy Slater got hurt and Munster moved to fullback. But you know, he I was able to jump on in like round three or four really quite early before I think it was another month before a lot of people started getting on him. His ownership was like three, four percent for quite a while. And it like he he and eventually blew up for like 150, 160 point score later in, in midseason. And like just being well ahead of the curve for that made it really you know when you're when you're able to do that and nail your pod call early on it just sets your team up really really well to keep plugging out strong scores basically that's the thing like it's it's all well and good to 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 plan your team weeks in advance but there is there is an element of luck to it isn't there you've got to dodge injuries you've got to have certain players go off i know that the year that i went uh, really well was 2019 that was the year luke garner burst on the scene i had him from the start uh john bateman there was question marks over him i had him from the start um, Charles Nickel Clocks had another one. Um, people were, were hesitant on uh, held Payne Haas as well. Those first five games he was suspended. So there is a little bit of risk taking that, that you have to, to get there. But if you look back at your ranking at the end of the year and see that you're 7,000th, but you've made risks, I think it's a not not a successful year, but you can you can have a, a bit of confidence moving into the year after because there is so much luck that, that revolves around it. You need your big player. Like you said, you've had captains that only got 20 or 30. So it's all, yeah, you can look at the numbers and see what player averages were against what team, but all it takes is a head knock or a twisted ankle and you're done for the week, aren't you? Yeah, and look, that's that's one part that's, there's always going to be an element of luck there. Um, that's without question. 
but I still think like over the course of a normal 25 round season, you know, good super coaches usually get it together and, and can, you know. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Finish strongly if, if you, all you're hoping for is a sol- solid finish. But, you know, the, the, the chances of winning are always so much harder. Uh, because you just need so much more to go right, not just in terms of your own team selections, your trades, your choices of players and cash cows and all that type of stuff. You know, there's so many decisions you make from round one to the end of the season that you've got to get right um, on top of being fortunate enough to dodge the injury luck and stuff like that. And I guess what we see is that every every winner goes through that. They they cop the injuries, They they still navigate you know, bad captaincy calls and things like that. It's just at the end of the day, you just got to get more calls right than everyone else effectively. And yeah, it sounds simple when you put it that way, doesn't it? It, it is. That's the thing. Like no, no, no winner has ever had smooth sailing with the amount of games that, that footy players play. There's always bound something to go wrong. One thing I wanted to touch on before we wrapped up today is obviously your team building. Now we're going to get you back on uh, closer to the season to, to go over your team and, and try and give the guys a bit of an insight as to how you're thinking, but do you have a set plan in mind? Obviously my followers know that I'm not huge keen on spending big in the center wings. I think the front row forward options this year, you can go a little bit lighter. I'd love to hear someone else's thought process on the crop of talent that we have moving forward. Yeah, I think it's always a delicate balance with teams. Um, I feel with the normal season, you know, we're back, we're back to having to stretch 37 trades across 25 rounds. Whereas I think last year, we can, it can be easy to forget that we were really lucky to just be able to trade almost every single round without having to worry about running out by the end. No, uh, origin as well. We, yeah, well, that's it. So I think for, it's a delicate balance between, you know, just loading up on undervalued players and locking in guys who you're just going to hold for the bulk of the season or, you know, a large chunk of it. Uh, because, you know, when you're playing with a limited number of trades, like, sure, you might pick a guy who on paper is, you know, is priced at, let's say a 45 average. And you think maybe he's going to be a 50 average. So look, it sounds good in theory, but when you factor in the fact that you've then got to trade them out and burn that trade as well, like it doesn't look as attractive then uh, to me anyway. So I find it's a balance between trying to extract the max value you can. Um, you're right in terms of going with the, the cheaper center wings. It's often a very safe option because honestly all of the time a lot of the time you just need that lucky spike you know the 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 rookie center wing to crash over for a double at some point and then you trade them out two rounds later for a nice 100 150 profit because they were dirt cheap to start with and you just needed that one solid score to you know to, to send their price skyrocketing so i i don't have a cookie cutter approach generally speaking um my general rule is i like to obviously go for the undervalued players but in a way that I think it's going to be worthwhile burning a trade on them later to, to basically, you know, trade them out having made, let's say, hopefully at least hundred grand, 150, anything more as a bonus. And then going from there, obviously there's going to be times where players who 
maybe they're only going to make 60, 70 grand and you'll have to take that. But like to me, and I'll, I'll use perhaps um, Matt Lodge as an example. I know there's a lot of hype about him, a lot of excitement, um, especially since Haas has been suspended for three games. But I just wonder, like, is it really going to be worthwhile? So Lodge might get 50 minutes for the first three weeks. And that's only one price rise. And what if after that, he drops to 30 minutes? What do you do with like, say, uh, $330,000 Matt Lodge? You know, like he's might have made that little bit of cash, but then he could go back because he's only getting 30 minutes a game. Like to me, that's not such a clear cut um, question and answer. And I think it's worth considering in the early rounds of your season to to work out, like, do I really want to start with someone like that who might only have a limited shelf life? That's that, that, that's that's the exact point I was I was about to bring up. Like guys like Tex Wee, for example, people seem to be keen on him. But with when you're picking these underpriced guys or these cheapies, you need to look at their competition and when they're back. So for example, someone like Tex Hoy, um, we're unsure on, on Kalen Ponga's return. There's reports circulating that he'll be back round two. There's reports circulating he'll be back round five. So when you look at those a little bit deeper, you're only going to get one or two price rises maximum, and then he becomes a bit of a, an AE nightmare. So I think you, you're you're on the money there with the fact that you need to look at guys that are in but you have to look at why they're in someone like uh, matt tomoko from the raiders is a is a fantastic example as well but um yeah i think i think those underpriced guys this year it seems to be the the mid-range options obviously the second row and front row there seems to be a plethora of sort of guys around that 300k range and i've made it no secret my most expensive center wing right now is dylan walker at 306k apart from that there's very limited sort of halves apart from cleary and, and dca and uh, five eighth. I'm of, of the opinion that you need to go Munster or Walker, and even Walker isn't overly impressive when you look at his numbers a little bit deeper. See, I mean, and I take your point with Tex Hoyer. Certainly, there is a question mark there, but I'm more likely to gamble on a Tex Hoyer than a Matt Lodge because of the fact that, you know, let's say he Ponga is back in in round six, right? So that's five weeks out. Hoyer gets um, to play the first five rounds. That's round three, four, and five that he will get a price rise in potentially. If he gets, a, say, an 80 score at any point in the first five rounds, you're going to see his price jump up a fair bit nicely. Whereas, again, like a Matt Lodge, he might only get one or two rounds of price rises before if he's not getting the minutes, and that's a big if. Like, I just don't know what that pack's going to roll out like because we don't know what Kevy's tendencies are. And there's also going to be added unknown of you know the first three rounds and then introducing the gun that is Payne Haas back in to get 60-ish minutes or whatever it might be. It's going to shake things up again. So there's a lot of unknowns for both of them, but I would rather take a chance on the guy who could shoot up in price and make 100 grand in two price rises even if he gets the right um, kind of start. And look, with him potentially most likely being the first choice goal kicker, I like the night starting draw. There's, there's definitely risk there, but for me, I'm always going to risk a back over a, a forward um, if it's going to be a short-term rental like that. And you just, you just, you just mentioned uh, team draws. How important is that for you for picking your side for the first five, six weeks? How much do you take stock of, of how well a team's going? For example, myself, I was very high on DCE and I still might be if he gets the goal kicking, but obviously mainly don't have the best draw um, compared to someone like the Titans. So how much stock do you put into looking at the, the fixtures moving forward? Yeah, look, I don't obsess over it. Uh, I think we sometimes can overemphasize how, you know, how easy a team's strengths of, strengths of schedule should be because, like, and I, I know of other people have spoken about this before, but rugby league is really hard to predict. You know, teams get better and worse year on year out. 
sure, there are a couple of teams that are just uh, the consistent standard and the Melbourne Storm come to mind. Like every year, they're one of the toughest teams to score upon. So if I'm looking to draw, usually I'm trying to dodge Melbourne. That's probably one of the things I do. But even someone like the Panthers, sure, their defense was incredible last year. Um, you know, one of the top defenses in the in the league. But in the past, even just two years ago, they weren't that of that level. So there's a huge chance that any of these teams in the middle of the pack can suddenly become Panthers-like in the defense, um, even at the start of the year. And then you've got a, you know, if you've picked and relied too heavily on strength of schedule to guide your starting team, like all of a sudden, any edge you thought you had, is just gone. So to me, I'm more likely to, you know, I might use it as a bit of a tiebreaker or, you know, if, if I really think that it's going to, like, extremely unlikely that a team say like the Bulldogs are suddenly going to be a top four defense um, not to disparage the Bulldogs but consistently they've struggled um, and they've allowed a lot of super coach points against them but uh, or like let's say the 2020 Broncos you know they were the worst defensive team like do you assume that continues um, and if it does then sure you can put stock in it but there is a, a narrative where all of a sudden Kevy's the coach he's finally brought back the pride in the jersey. These guys will actually play for each other. They might not be great team full stop, but they're probably not leaking 59, 60 points to opposition um, uh, teams. So maybe they still lose and they still might be owned three by round three, but maybe they've lost 18, 16, you know, 14, 12 or, or something quite low scoring because they've just been, you know, they're, they're busting their gut for each other in defense. That's the thing. Like, do you take much stock into historical standings? Obviously, there's um, brilliant stats around that people can go source out that you can find how much a player averages against a certain team. Obviously, Melbourne seem to be the the, the top, but even someone like the Roosters do concede uh, points to certain positions. So it's it is well and good to look at those advanced metrics. One question I wanted to to put here before we we finish up for today is: if you had to pick uh, one player outside of the, the box this year to, to have in your team, who would it be and why? Do you mean like as a gun or as a... Just, I guess, outside of outside of your Teddies, your Clearies, your uh, Crichtons, who's, who's one guy that would be in your team that would raise some eyebrows? Um, I guess at this stage, I'm considering going cheaper at 5'8 and also at hooker. Uh, just with the, obviously the recent news for Connor Watson, you know, it sounds like he's going to have a really strong starting role uh, and, you know, a fairly set number of minutes. So he could be a really consistent scorer, 50s, 55s, maybe even 60s if he gets the right minutes and, and um, he gets to play well. Um, so to me, like, I, I'm more than happy to run one of, like, uh, Watson as one of my starters. So potentially my five position could be Watson and Hoy. Uh, it's risky, but that's the type of risk I took in 2016 where, like I said, my starting halves were Anthony Milford, a rookie Ash Taylor, a rookie, um, uh, Jackson Hastings, who was at the Roosters at the time, who was mm-hmm. goal-kicking. And also uh, it was Jordan Rankin for one week, and then I swapped him to fullback and I brought in Cody Walker from round two. So, you know, these guys who are, you know, unsighted, but I took the risk and it paid off, obviously. So, yeah, that's the type of thing. In, um, you know, I know everyone's been saying, look, Munster or Walker, lock him in. And I get that, you know. Uh, um, if Munster goal kicks, it's uh, pretty much a no-brainer there. But if he doesn't, and Pappenhausen does, like I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe that's somewhere I can, 
you know, take the risk. Or if rather than at, 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 at hooker, like everyone's been saying, Damien Cook and, and Little or someone like that, but I'm thinking maybe I could go, say, Connor Watson and Little or, you know, something like that instead. And, and it's a risk because I'm not gunning up with Cook or Grant or Coruscant, whatever it is, but I'm taking the risk that a $288,000 Connor Watson can fill a spot in my 17 and come to 80% of the production of someone like a Damien Cook, potentially. If he, if Watson can average 60, for example, Cook averages maybe 70, 75. So yeah, he's losing out in points, but I've, I've matched or like 80% of the production for basically 320 grand, 340 grand less. So, and, and that's the thing you can you can use that cash then free up your reserves too, so you're not stuck playing a Sean Bloor or a, or a Jordan Ricky. You can play someone uh, like a Tupanua, for example. You can use that cash to upgrade. We share a very similar thought process on the hook position. I have gone uh, Watson and Little for now, uh, and if Munster doesn't kick, then I might just run Dylan Brown and maybe Matt Moylan. But yeah, look, it's it's good to to bounce ideas off off one another. Uh, Wilfred, just before we finish up, where can people find you and your podcast if uh, if they want to give that a listen? Yeah, so the podcast is called Supercoach Champions. Um, we're on Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, all the major uh, ones. Um, so you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account is at catfishsc. Uh, the, the podcast um, where we will tweet out links and stuff like that is at nrlsc underscore champions. But yeah. Um, and you your, and your, pod, your podcast is a, is a bit of a, a longer one for listeners, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we, at this stage, we're putting out one episode a week, um, around 40 to 50, sometimes 60 minutes. And we, we go into a fair bit of depth. Um, we don't always go into the player analysis. Uh, I think there's a lot of other podcasts out there doing that great work. So for us, we, we like to sit down and kind of dissect things around it sometimes. like So the first few episodes this preseason, we looked at 2020, um, how it compared as a season because of how unique it was compared to previous years. Uh, we looked at also um, the impact of the rule changes from 2020 if it actually sped up the game and, and looked at it from the stats perspective. And more um, this week, we spent a lot of time talking about the differences between uh, strategically between, say, head-to-head -head, uh, and overall looking at how you structured the teams, how you planned around one teams and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of it's more strategic discussion as opposed to player base. But when it comes to, obviously, the, the season itself, we're definitely digging into team lists and looking at trade-ins and all that type of options as well. So... That's the yeah, thing, so and that, that, that's that's the joys of of, of preseason, isn't it? Like, there's obviously so many content creators out there. I'm doing something different to what you guys are doing. You got, you're doing something different to the next guy. So, for listeners out there, there, there is so much variety in the preseason to to structure your sides around and, and get the info. Obviously, it becomes a little bit more the same in terms of the season because we all talk about the same things. But I guess preseason, it's fantastic to have different uh, different podcast avenues to listen to. Yeah, and I think it's really important to work out what works for you as a super coach enthusiast or a player because I know there's some people out there who who just lap it up. The more info they get, the more opinions, the more thought process they can digest and they, they love it so they can work out what works for them. Um, others can get overwhelmed if they listen to too much stuff or read too much stuff. So just work out what works for you. And once you've got that, then figure out whether, you know, you want to just digest everything or pick the ones, pick the podcasts or the articles or whatever it is that resonates most with yourself and that aligns with the way you play Supercoach. Uh, that's my general advice, yeah. 
All right, well, that's probably going to wrap it up. Uh, Wilfred, you're a busy man, so I will let you go. But I appreciate you so much for jumping on the pod, giving the listeners uh, a bit of insight as to what it takes to be successful. And uh, we'll definitely get you on later in the year. Thanks so much, Wilf. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, guys. Keep your friends close and keep your pods closer. That'll knock a jacket potato out of you, that. And the cheese and the coleslaw. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.